Hi, everybody. Welcome to Fully Puffed. This is a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Grace, and this is my co-host, Catherine. Hello. <laughs> I think that sounded good. <laughs> Looking at it. Uh, we're two PhD students and Gilmore Girls super fans who wanted to start a podcast to talk about it. And if you are listening, thank you for tuning in. If you're a friend of ours, that's probably why you're listening at first. But if you've just randomly found us, um, I'm very excited for you to listen along with us and really just bond over our love of Gilmore Girls. So Catherine, do you want to talk a little bit about how you got into the show, what you're drawn to about it, um, why you feel like you've kept watching over the years? Yes. About yourself too. Okay. Um, so, oh, well, first of all, I, not that we need to do like age stamps, but I have to say I was particularly disturbed to realize that I'm about to turn 34 at the end of this month and Lorelai is 32. It's like the worst feeling in human history. I am yeah. turned 28 at the end, at, actually on Wednesday. And, um, I was like, oh man, I am, I am very close to Lorelai. And I feel like when I watched it as a kid, I, you know, you relate to Rory. And now when I've re-watched it as an adult, like I relate to Lorelai, even though I don't nearly have my life together as much in a lot of ways as Lorelai does. I know. And I know that like part of it is supposed to be that Lorelai is immature, you know? So I was trying to make myself feel better. Like, I don't know, like um, I've almost got a PhD. <laughs> that's a thing that's a something but um if I could and I I saw that you had this in your notes too if I could have a wraparound porch like that oh um, the porch oh my god at like by by 32 that would have been amazing but um I would trade my PhD for the house in (laughs) in, I mean it would it wouldn't even be a thought that house is my dream home and they renovate it I don't love the renovation they do in the later seasons I like OG earlier seasons Gilmore Girls house. Yes, for sure. Um, so, okay. Yeah. So about, about me, yes. um, I want to wrap around porch. Number one, wrap around porch. Um, and I started watching Gilmore Girls in high school while it was still on, um, like airing week to week, but as we have discussed, I did not like it. And to the extent that I hated it and told people often and wrote on my Zanga uh, about how much I hated it. (laughs) This is truly a safe space for you to admit that you were a Zanga user. I was a Zanga user and I was, I felt threatened by Gilmore Girls. I feel that I can say honestly, because I felt like anytime that I had like a niche interest, um, I, I would have the show on in the background or something and, and they would talk about it. And I was like, they're stealing all the cool things that I like. And they're, they're making them, you know, they're putting them on the, the WB and that's, you know, and then I won't be special, I guess, if the other people know um, about uh, Yola Tango or whatever, which <laughs> we could talk about um, the only like legit musical choice um, in this pilot episode. But, uh, but anyway, so I, you know, I started watching it um, kind of as a hate watch and then it charmed me and I fell in love. And then I started watching week to week with my best friend and, um, you know, I had the DVDs and I took them to college with me and I was very depressed and I would watch Gilmore Girls like just on a loop 
Um, the fourth Gilmore Girls experience is being sad and continually rewatching Gilmore Girls on a loop. Yeah. Um, and you know, and it's just like stuck with me. Um, I don't think there's ever been a period in my adult life that I've not watched Gilmore Girls, like in some capacity. Um, and as I've gotten older, I've just really continued to have this love of YA, of 90s nostalgia, um, 90s and early aughts, like nostalgia. Um, I wrote a book that is like based off of sort of like a like a supernatural version of, of like a Sweet Valley High um, novel. And so, yeah, so that's Red Hot Hex Magic. It's actually, I wrote it under a pseudonym by, so it's by Nadia Xavier. You can find it on Amazon. Um, and actually when I was thinking about talking about it on the podcast, I realized that like, you know, spoiler alert uh, a little bit, but like the very end is about the girls um, who are, are witches um, having this, this moment where they come together with their mothers who, um, they've all kind of had these issues with and they come together in a, in a way that if I say anything else about it, we'll spoil the book, <laughs> but, um, they have a, a, a beautiful mother daughter moment at the end. And, uh, I thought, oh, that was probably Gilmore. <laughs> it was definitely like working at some, um, subconscious level in your brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I did not think, <laughs> oh, I, I don't think we talked about this. Does your mom like Gilmore girls? So I think so. Okay. But the weird thing that I like, so I told you that my father-in-law is a yes. Gilmore Girls super fan. I, I'm obsessed with. I mean, you have <laughs> him on the pod. <laughs> we definitely do. Um, and I, like, I remember my mom like walking in and when watching some of it with me, but weirdly, I remember my dad watching it with me. Like he was very charmed by it. And I completely forgot about that until like this weekend when I was thinking about, you know, apparently my brother is a fan. This is news to me. Um, so Alex, we would love to have you on the podcast. We'd love to have you. Come on. Um, please. But I don't remember him watching it with me either. So I don't know when that happened, but um, but yeah, I remember my dad really liked it. And he wouldn't sit down and watch a full episode, but like if you walked by, he would like stop and linger, you know? Oh. So I don't know. What about you? Did your, was your mom into it? So my mom did not like Gilmore Girls when it was, when I watched it as a kid. To be fair, my mom's taste in t television shows, and I love my mom, we are very close. So I, I said this with love, but her taste in TV is not great. Catherine, <laughs> you know, you and I are both 30 Rock super fans and my mom does not like 30 Rock. She thinks oh, my mom would hate it. Yeah, she thinks it's mean-spirited, which like yeah. it is <laughs> mean-spirited, but also I don't know, it's so good. But so she never liked it. And um, I think she's come around to it now that I've told her that I watch it as an adult and I really enjoy it. And I know she she wants to start watching it with me and she's gonna come visit me in a couple of weeks. Uh, Catherine and I both live in Virginia. So when she comes to visit, maybe we'll watch a couple episodes and we can, feature her on the pod and, or she can, she can give us some feedback, but no, I mean, and, and it's so interesting because I, I have read a lot about the actors talking about being approached by fans and they often mention like, oh, I have a lot of mother daughter pairs come up to me and, oh, I have, you know, so many moms come up and say, I watched this with my kid and we really got a lot out of it. And I'm like, I don't know. I have a lot of friends who are, are Gilmore Girls super fans and I don't really know any of them watched it with their mothers yeah I don't I don't think so either I, I actually I don't know any of <laughs> yeah, 
I, don't know, I actually don't know anybody who did. And I think that's a, we can talk about maybe why that is like, what, what is Gilmore, is Gilmore Girls fulfilling in us sort of like a, a need for that mother daughter closeness relationship? Is it, um, it, do we see it from more of like a best friend's perspective or are we just not TV watchers with our moms? I don't know. This my is something mom, I definitely think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom's not a TV watcher. My mom she, either. Yeah, so maybe that was. So she wondering. now does watch on Netflix. I didn't mean to cut you off. She watches like all of those weird Swedish true crime dramas that are like slightly fictionalized. <laughs> She's like, I'm watching something from Norway. You should watch it. I'm like, absolutely not. Like, no. That is so funny. But yeah. She's not a TV lady in general. Hmm. Well, let's table that for a moment because I want to hear how you got into Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Excellent job, Catherine, getting us back on. Uh, <laughs> you can definitely tell that you have teaching experience. <laughs> so I am. I don't have the the extremely impressive continuity of my Gilmore Girls and fandom as Catherine does. Um, mine is a bit of like a prodigal son coming back to <laughs> thing. So I used to watch it when I was in elementary school at my friend Amanda's house. And we would go down in her basement and drink peach snapple, which I am still a super fan of to this day and eat sun-dried tomato wheat thins and um, like, just, like whole sleeves of them and watch Gilmore Girls seasons one to three, which she had on DVD. And I loved it. I mean, these are some of my happiest childhood memories is going to her house and, and just marathoning Gilmore Girls as much as children marathoned at the time. It was like three episodes. And then my mom would pick me up. <laughs> and um, I love Stars Hollow. I remember being really attracted to the, the homely, hominess of the town and the warmth, um, which is weird because my town looks a lot like Stars Hollow, but it doesn't have that sort of um, community feel to it. And I thought Jess was really cute. And he was probably influenced the guys I've dated more than I would like to admit. <laughs> I thought Dean was fine, um, but I never watched past season three because she didn't have any of the DVDs after that. I don't know why. And so my mom, though she didn't like Gilmore Girls, knew I watched it and she bought me the first three seasons DVDs too. And so I would rewatch them a lot as a child, sort of obsessively. And I never wanted to go past season three because I, um, I was like, you know what, this is the show I love. I, it's, it's a comfort watch for me. And I was really worried that it would change after Rory went off to college. Um, so I didn't watch it. And then I sort of just fell away from it. I mean, I went to high school, I grew up. By the time I was watching it, Gilmore Girls was off the air. Um, or I think it was on the air when I was a kid. And then like when I was in middle and high school, it, it went off um, finally. So I kind of forgot about it. And I had a lot of friends in college who really liked it, but I was like, oh, I'm sure if I rewatch it, it would be stupid. And I was kind of snotty about it. Um, I love bad pop culture and I think, and I've taught about it. And I think that I kind of assumed it wasn't a bad show. It was just not something that I really wanted to revisit. But then fast forward to about like two and a half years ago, I have cable and for some reason I would like turn on, what is it, UPN? <laughs> or like the up network or whatever stupid yeah. weird network it's on and Gilmore girls would be on. And it was always like later episodes. And I would say to my ex, like, wouldn't it be funny if we watched Gilmore girls? Because we like, we like to marathon shows and um, it became this running joke with us. And finally I was just like, what if we rewatched it together? 
So we started, we put it on a Netflix. And I remember being protective of it. Like, I really hope she likes it. And she and I are so close. So, and um, we were both like, I think we kind of expected it to be bad or okay. And then we we're like, at the end of the episode, we were like, this is really good. So we became obsessed with it. We finished it in, you know, a, a, like a month. And um, at the end, I was like, what do you want to watch again? And she's like, honestly, I want to rewatch Gilmore Girls. So we, we just rewatched it and rewatched it and rewatched it. And she once did some math that was like, we had Gilmore Girls on for 12% of our waking hours. <laughs> like, I mean, we weren't, we weren't actively watching it the whole time. It was on in the background, but um, I really love it. And I think how I feel about Gilmore Girls is it, it's, I, I think it's one of the great TV shows. And I think it's one of the great stories. And I think even when people analyze it in podcasts, they tend to have, you know, sort of like a, oh, I feel a little bit ashamed for liking this, or they, they focus on um, an analysis of it. That's like, oh, who's annoying? Who do we like? But I think that if we, we can, it has the potential to really be treated as like a text and to be looked at seriously. And I think it deserves serious analysis and kind of like a literary analysis. So when I started thinking about doing a podcast, I was, it was just because the kind of discussion I wanted to be having about Gilmore Girls wasn't really out there. Mm -hmm. I was like, Hey, what if I started something where I talked to a friend about it and, and we did this stuff and Catherine and I both have training in analyzing this sort of thing, but we also are both just genuine Gilmore Girls lovers. And I found that out about you because I would post Gilmore Girls stuff on my Instagram stories and you would reply to it. And I was like, Catherine would be the perfect person to do this with. She's so smart and cool. And she's a Gilmore Girls, not lifelong fan, but she's an OG. So yeah, that's how we got into it. She's an OG Gigi. Um, <laughs> you bring up a good point though, which, well, first of all, I I realized like, so when you were watching, do you, I don't want to make you do on the spot math, but like what year was that when you were watching the DVDs with your friend? I'm sorry. Do you know what, what do I know what year it was? You know, I don't know. I think it would probably be around 2005 and six. So it would, it would have been when the show was about to end, like in okay. five, six, seven. Cause it's interesting. It was like only brief overlap, but that doesn't make sense because you're not, you're only like several years older than me and you were in high school when it was airing. So I actually must've been older. Yeah. It, it's like seventh grade. The last season, it ended, I think in 2007. Mm -hmm. um, and you were in high school. What, do you know what year of high school you were in? I had graduated. Okay. Um, I, I, I dropped out of my first year of college wow. and, um, um, moved back to my hometown. And so I watched the final season with my best friend who was still, um, she had gone to college in our hometown as well. And so it had to have been 2007, um, like spring of 2007. So, but I'll, I'll tell you why I asked, because it's interesting to me, like what Gilmore girls has represented over the years. Yeah. So like, I just was a really like snobby, <laughs> I guess hipster, <laughs> teen, angry. You were cool. You were cool. Well, and like, like I, well, riot girl, riot girl. Yeah, yeah, I did not think Gilmore Girls was cool, um, but it was like popular. You know, yes. it was a it was a show that people liked and talked about, and it was a popular show. But then I feel like there was this long period of time where it was just very niche. Yes, 
And it's interesting to me that you got into it kind of at that time, because then it, there was this big revival um, of interest in Gilmore Girls with the revival on Netflix. Yeah, and, and because they put it on Netflix too. Like, yeah, you, right. That's how people, because that's how a new audience came to it because they didn't have the DVDs. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it's interesting to me that I, you know, I watched it because it was on, I would come home from school yeah. and like, just turn on the TV and whatever. And I, I would watch anything like what yeah. in high school. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, we've talked about this just, um, you know, with each other, but I think it's also something to talk about, you know, on the podcast, like what watching, how watching TV, watching habits were different. Yes. And like, I remember being a very like, I don't watch television kind of like. And I now still, that's not like an attitude anymore, but that was the cool attitude. Yeah. But I, but it was sort of a lie because I would just come home and just turn on the TV. But I remember yes. with Gilmore Girls, like I was a huge fan of the um, punk band Rancid and yeah. it like Rancid would be playing on Gilmore Girls. And I was like, what the hell? And they'd be talking about like Proust and Tolstoy and that's, what drew me in um but I don't think I would have watched the show if it hadn't just been on the background so and it's so it's interesting to me that like I kind of just got into it because it was on and it was available and I you know I don't think it's something I would have chosen to watch on my own but you got into it like at this weird time that's really interesting to me (laughs) yeah and I want to talk about this because I think that goes back to the inherent tension that we're we've talked about with each other and that I know we want to cover between like the way Gilmore Girls was marketed and how it yeah. it was initially really popular with sort of yeah. everyone and how it appeared and the actual content of the show, which is, I think, much more niche and heavily built on these references that were like cool kid references and, and very literary, a lot of it, and seem at odds with a lot of like the marketing that was done for it and yeah. a lot of the initial viewership it ended up having not in like oh Gilmore Girls should have been only a cool kid show from the beginning but I think that that was back at the time when tv was you just something you watched when it was on and I think you were like oh you know this this show doesn't it it's not fitting in the box that it's supposed to be fitting into yeah and so it had that initial reputation as oh this is a popular show and then when it went away I think it developed as you said like this niche sort of pop culture secret reputation where the people I knew who were fans of it when I was in college were like really smart girls who um liked to read or they had like cool punk interests and they were also Gilmore Girls fans yeah right that's really weird like this show and I think that's what even though I technically I started rewatching it because it was on the up network it was also because so many of my friends who I really like were huge fans and I was like okay I deserve to give this a revisit and that's not how you got into it at all no, but like, yeah, you're right. And now that I'm thinking back on it, I mean, I think the only people in my high school who were really into Gilmore Girls, or I mean, that I knew, we, I had a huge high school, but I'm my friend Tina, who, and but actually, I hope both of my friends can come on the show, um, Tina and Kayla, and, Kayla and they were both like really like alternative, like indie girls, yeah. and Kayla in particular. Um, Kayla, I hope you're listening because. I, I love you. And I have always thought you were the coolest. Um, she, I thought she, she was like an e-girl, like pre-e-girl. <laughs> she she so had the e-girl cool. aesthetic before Instagram. And, yes. and um, we like bonded over music and, um, you know, like MySpace bangs. And oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Catherine. 
<laughs> and like nylon magazine I don't know if oh I'm, I even remember nylon magazine oh my god I used to buy it like whenever yeah. you would go like into the city and then we would have like they would have like a newsstand yeah city for me um, Philadelphia I was not in or near New York City um but yeah like I don't even remember why Cal Kayla and I both found out that we love Gilmore Girls but um but yeah it like but it was sold as this very like wholesome mother-daughter, like small town small show. town show. And then you watch it and you're like, that is not what this is at all. In parts, it's very dark and not the sort of dark that like WB shows or shows of that area can be, where it's like there's a car crash and like somebody yeah. dies, but like it's emotionally difficult. Yeah. And I think that's what draws a lot of us to it and keeps us returning to it, is that there's so much emotional material there that you can keep going back to and drawing from yeah even just in this first episode um there at the very end with um the conflict between um emily and lorelei like that is like peak gaslighting like narcissistic gaslighting that she's pulling on her and i was like there's just there's so much um yeah there's so much like really dark family dynamics there 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 really are and that's why I think it frustrates me when people sometimes simplify they're like Lorelai's very selfish or like yes she is often but it's like oh Lorelai doesn't appreciate her parents and it's like well that's not really what's going on here in the show um and I think that we're gonna have a lot of fun breaking that stuff down so should we segue into episode discussion yes all right. So podcast listeners, hello. Hopefully it's more than just me, Catherine. I think it will be. Um, we wanted to just sort of spitball for this first episode and see if we could go through our notes that we took on it um, and just sort of go chronologically and come up with some stuff that we both pinged on or that we really wanted to discuss, lines we liked, weird moments, and then maybe do like a synthesis at the end where we talked about how this sets up the rest of the show, what the podcast gets us to expect, not with the podcast, but the pilot gets us to expect um, the moments of character development we thought were particularly good. Um, If this feels like the Gilmore Girls we fall in love with, or it feels like this show is still settling into itself, um, and then do a couple of fun segments. So do you mind if I start with my (laughs) comment? No. I wanted to talk about, and I have for, this is like the most embarrassing thing I'm going to say in the entire podcast, but for those of you who follow me on Twitter, I have tweeted about this. So you're getting repeat content. The fact that the first episode starts off with the, there she goes again song is like the most deranged thing to me in the entire human universe. Every time I restart the show, I forget about it. And I think it's because my brain knows that I can't process it and remain like an emotionally healthy person. So it forces me, it like blacks it over. And so every time I rewatch it, I'm like startled. Like I, I literally am taken aback. And this time I was prepared for it, but what the heck? Wait, okay, we have totally different reasons. What, like, why do you hate it? I think it's, so, I think <laughs> it's too on the nose. I think it's, it, yeah. I think to me, it's the, it's an example of the network being like, sort of their last gasp of trying to fit the show with the content of the show itself in a very um like wb-esque box like it's it's so it's just to me it's it's just it's too much it's too it's too it's played too straight but I I I like that we disagree about it say more um so I okay I don't like it (laughs) it's not that I totally disagree with you I know I like about the show that you don't like and vice versa it's okay so to me it feels very of the time that's true 
And I, that song is very nostalgic for me. Just okay, so I, think, I liked it. I think that's fair. And I actually like the song too. I just think it's weird to, for me, it's what's weird is hearing a song I recognize from another context over played on Gilmore Girls. And I think that must've been like an experience you were having while you were watching the show contemporaneously. Yeah. But to me, it feels like a song that's very grounded in the period. Yes, and, yes, exactly. Yeah. And as somebody but, who watched Gilmore Girls later, I think that a lot of it does feel like it transcends an era to me at least, even though like the costumes look a certain way, whatever. But so it, it's to me, it's it's more of like a moment in time than a lot of the other things on the show. For and sure. And yeah. So retro a lot of it. Like they bring in so many references from so many different time periods and so many music from so many different time periods that I'm like, oh, this is very on the nose for 1999. Yes. Yeah. No. And that's why I like it, but I can also see why you would not like that. Um, it's like every time. So, oh, actually, this is something that I wanted to ask you about a, a few minutes ago. So when you started watching it, you started with the pilot? When I was a kid? Yeah. I don't even remember when I started when I was a kid, but when I, I think we, honestly, I think I start. we started in like season two and just, like, oh, okay. and it. but when I start, I restarted with my ex, we started at season one, episode one. I've never seen the show before. I don't know what episode like I started with because it was just on, you know, it was it was on. yeah. In the background. I feel like the first time I really remember an episode, it was the one where Max Medina lends Lorelai the Proust. Oh yeah. So like later season one. So that was way later. So I have obviously watched the pilot a number of times, but um it always shocks me how 90s it is. Like, hello world, it's 1999. <laughs> it's like really 1999. Yeah. And like the Rory is sort of grungy and yes. mm-hmm. it's very and I did not watch these shows at the time, but I have watched them. So it's very felicity, very um so-called life, very like kind of grungy 90s teen. Um and so when I rewatch the show, I just like it. I like that element of it. That's definitely but, fair. But there's some, and I, you, I noticed in your notes, you wrote about the weird music, the weird music references that are. The like, Eminem reference. Well, I want to talk about. Macy Gray, Britney Spears, which I know the Britney Spears one is kind of a joke. Yeah, but still. Odd. It's more grounded in the time period than most of the other references will be later. Yeah. And I think that that is probably because they were trying to attract an audience with the pilot. Yeah. And I think that's somewhere yeah. where you can feel the, you can feel the constraints of what the pilot had to do as like an, a pilot episode and as something yeah. that would get people to watch the show versus maybe what the writers wanted to do. Like yeah. what Catherine's referring to is that in my notes, I have when they, when Lane is first introduced the first music reference that Lane of all people makes is that she likes Eminem and that her parents aren't going to accept that Eminem Lane likes, I mean, I just don't buy that. Um, maybe, (laughs) I mean, maybe when did, when did Eminem go like super mainstream, maybe like Eminem early nineties, like weird, dark mixtapes, Eminem, but like, (laughs) I can't believe I know this, but, um, Dr. Dre's album, was it, (sighs) 2001 yeah that came out in I think 1999 which I guess that was that that's a weird music thing that I discovered about myself I was I was at the grocery store and 
I don't know why this is like around Halloween. I still think it's very odd that this song was playing, but it's because it has the Halloween. It's like he like samples the Halloween theme okay. in the background. So it's Murder Inc. And it was oh, like that. Song. It was heavily censored in the grocery store. I think it was just that they were like, "Oh, it's a Halloween song." Oh my god! Anyway, and I was like, I was singing in my head, and I realized I knew all the words, and I didn't know how I knew that. And so then I I went to YouTube and I found that album, and I knew so like all the words oh to so many of those tracks. And that was like a weird repressed thing within me. I was like, I didn't know I knew this. Right. Had you purposely learned them at the time or did you just absorb them by osmosis? I absorbed them by osmosis. And I didn't even know that Eminem also was featured um, oh, yeah. on that album. So maybe Eminem was kind of like... Still a little... Okay. That makes... I mean, it makes sense. I could see Lane listening to like early 2000 or early 90s, like into 2000s, like sort of gangster rap. Um, yeah, like, I, I don't know. Like... NWA, I, I don't, maybe, uh, if, if it leans going to be into any rap, like maybe that's what she's into. Actually, I feel like the real Slim Shady and like Stan. Wasn't that around that time? Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird reference. Um, it's a, and especially because they preface it by saying, you, you know, know something rock? about your mom. It doesn't know you listen to the evil rock music and she's wearing a Woodstock shirt. Yeah. <laughs> And then it's like Eminem, like late, like that's, but that's not, rock. I don't know. What if Lane was a juggalo? That would have been an. <laughs> oh no. Oh my God. <laughs> like, oh no. I wrote in my notes too. Like, I don't know if you saw this, but I always think about moments when Gilmore Girls could have gone into like a really weird direction or had like a really weird character choices. Like I was, I wrote like, what if Dean after like, you know how he makes a big deal about being from Chicago. I was like, what if they played Dean with like a really broad Chicago accent the entire show and everything else stayed the same? Like, oh, no. I can't even do a Chicago accent, but like that would be just, that's something that I think maybe you don't find funny if you haven't watched the show a million times, but like the idea of watching the exact same show just with that like extremely funny sitcom accent kills me. And also yeah. one more thing, and then I will go back to chronological order. Speaking of accents, when Lorelai, when Suki injures herself in some way and Lorelai runs in, and I think that's the first time we meet her and she runs into the kitchen and she berates the chef number for like letting Suki injure herself. Number one, she speaks in Spanish, which I don't yeah. think we ever hear her do again. And maybe like one other time in season one, and number two, the chef responds in what I think is the fakest sounding Spanish accent I've ever heard in my life. He sounds like he's doing the like, ah, it's a me, Luigi. Yeah. <laughs> but for a Spanish accent, I was like, what is that? I think that would have just flown past me had I not read your notes. Because when it happened, I was like, oh my God. It's what? I had noticed it, I think, a couple of times before in watching, but for whatever reason, it really stood out to me this watch. And I was like, did they not have anyone on set who could do a convincing, who spoke Spanish or could do a convincing Spanish accent? They just like shoved one of the guys in or they were like, hey, for the actor they hired, just like do your best. Like, what? Because it's not a real Spanish accent. I mean, truly, I've never noticed that, but it is, yeah, it's very odd. And then I feel like um, Suki speaks Spanish. Luke speaks Spanish. Luke speaks Spanish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I See, I buy that actually, because like I don't know, yeah. he would be in the diner, and he sound like sounds more convincing doing it. Do I buy that Lorelai speaks Spanish? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> it would have been really funny if they continued like bilingual Lorelai. <laughs> that was a hilarious character choice. Also, um, we get like several different references to what language Rory is taking in school in this episode. Like we get French a lot. Um, like she asked Michelle to look over her French paper. Right. But then we have, <laughs> sorry, I'm skipping ahead to episode two because I watched a little of episode two tonight, uh, or last night. Um, I'll just mention it here. We, we're going to be a spoilers podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we could do this without being a spoilers podcast. Yeah. But the next episode, uh, when she's talking to Headmaster Charleston, he's like, oh, were you in any clubs? And she's like, oh, I was in German club, but that it was only three people. And then they saw Schindler's List. So <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a throwaway gag, but is, is Rory taking multiple languages at Stars Hollow High? You know, one thing that like, I was trying to think about, like unique takes on the show for the podcast. And I was like, what is Stars Hollow High? Like, we don't really know is anything Stars about Hollow it. High, I think is a very um, good question to ask. Yeah. And okay, I don't know where this is chronologically. I'm I'm looking at your notes now, but like um I am very intrigued by this nail polish situation. Oh yeah. Like what is that? Could you have Catherine, could you have painted your nails in class? Would that would you have gotten caught doing that? Was that something people did? Yeah. No. I do not believe that. No, I don't either. But I will say this. Um, and I don't want to get too far off track, but <laughs> Kayla, who I have already mentioned, and I, and another friend of ours who actually, I know, whose name now completely escapes me, I, we often eat lunch in our math class. Oh, I did that too. And it was a, it was a thing to, to see like what foods we could eat in secret. <laughs> and I remember at one point our friend, like we would, like. <laughs> You could eat a power bar or whatever it was like, the, yeah. like a, a protein bar. Um, you could eat, you could sneak like pretzels. You could, but uh, like at one point my friend tried to sneak uh, tuna and oh, we were finally caught. That was it. <laughs> but the whole thing was to see like how far we could push it before our um, yelled at. math teacher who was also like the football coach or something like <laughs> that type of high school. Yeah. My math teacher was the tennis coach. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if, so, you know, I could actually see trying to get away with the nail polish thing, but, but openly doing it. Like maybe that was the point though, to see like, if anybody would notice. Yeah, maybe they know. were crying out, they were having fun or they were crying out for attention. <laughs> They're like, please, stars hello, hi. Yeah. I think we can definitely talk later in the show about like, what what sort of educational institution are we supposed to believe that Stars Hollow High is? Because I think yeah. they give us like very mediocre public school vibes and I went to a mediocre public school, so I can say that. Um, but like, <laughs> do, I, do I necessarily buy that in this area of Connecticut, it's not a super great school? I don't know. I don't know enough about Connecticut public education. <laughs> Note to sell that up. Yeah, we've got to research. Also, like poor bastards that they may do the hand lettering on the signs in the behind the scene in the scene when like Dean is first talking to Rory, the signs are really poorly hand lettered. It's like, ah, oh, like math fair tomorrow. And you know they made some poor props intern be like, yeah. okay, make it look like a kid wrote. <laughs> yeah. And they they did a good job. Like those are not well lettered. No. <laughs> so back to maybe back to going chronologically. Um, I'm having a fantastic time, by the way. So um, 
what do you think about the opening scene besides like the very uh, grounded in time moments of it? What do we think about introducing Lorelai and Rory with that like guys are hitting on them thing? Um, I've always been mixed. In yeah, that. it like, I think it works to establish, I mean, Lauren Graham is obviously gorgeous. Lauren Graham is um, gorgeous. And Lauren Graham, I think, is does I mean she's just incredible throughout the whole show, but she does such a good job in this pilot at selling you on the entire thing. Yeah, like you are locked. There is not a moment where you are not with Lauren Graham in what she's yeah. doing. Um, but I think it serves a purpose. The like the guys hitting on them, first of all, to show that Lorelai is like a hot mom, which yeah. you know we could get. But I think it does work. It does like, work. I, to establish it. Yeah. Um, and then as we talked about before we started recording, the Kerouac reference. The Kerouac reference. Kind oh. of sucks, but it also does ground the show in like literary references yeah. and I guess like somewhat obscure kind of pop culture references. It shows that she's smart. Right, I think, yeah, that's important. She's not just hot, she's smart yeah. and well-read. And I think it also establishes that Lorelai is not just hot because this is television and everyone is hot. It's like yeah. she's hot in a way that pe- she and Rory are really pretty in a way people notice. And I think yeah. that actually, it's, as weird as it sounds, that is important to the show. Um, and I think that it, it's, it's a little clumsily done, maybe just because yeah. that guy is not a good actor. <laughs> like that, that dude is, I mean, he's supposed to be a bozo, but he is a real bozo. Yeah. And, but I think that, I mean, it's very low on my rating of Gilmore Girls moments. But I think it does, but it has to do um, yeah. plot wise and establishment wise. And then the other thing that I think works about it, that is something that I'm kind of like watching the show now as an adult, that kind of makes me uncomfortable is it sort of blurs the boundaries and they even comment on um, Lorelai having no boundaries at the end of the episode. Yeah. But it sort of shows that their relationship is an unusual one where they could both get hit on at the same time and it would be sort of played for laughs. and I think that that's a good thing, but also <laughs> having no boundaries in a parental child relationship great. is not healthy. It's not great. You're, I mean, throughout the whole show, you're constantly like in tension between like, I would love to have a relationship like this with someone versus like, this is an inappropriate in a lot of ways, codependent yeah. and parentified Rory relationship. Yes. About that. Poor Rory is so parentified. I know. <laughs> I really noticed that like in, in a later rewatch, I was like, oh God, she's so, she's like way more mature than she has to be. Yes. And I think in real life that arises from like sad situations. And this is the best version of parentification that could happen. Like Rory turns out great. Um, even though she has some bumps along the way, but, um, yeah, she's, she's a little adult and that's both adorable and cute and fun and awesome to watch. And also very sad to watch the hidden sadness of Gilmore girls, as we, as we say, (laughs) yeah, Um, I don't want the podcast to be like depressing, but um, (laughs) I mean, I think, look, it's, it's, we've, we've been having a lot of fun. Uh, I also think that it's bonkers that that guy in his last ditch attempt to make this hitting on them works is like, after he learns Lorelai is Rory's mom is like, well, you know, I'm traveling with a friend as if the mom is going to be like, yes, absolutely. Like, I'm going to go with you. And then my daughter is going to have sex with your friend. Like, that's normal. Like, what the? Yeah. (laughs) But it works. It works to do I think yeah. no it does um he's gross <laughs> also I would like to mention the dear officer Krupke uh reference that Lorelai makes to Luke which is something I did not 
understand until very recently <laughs> um, because I would like to get on my soapbox about a weird thing that I happened upon at some point. Um, so Dear Officer Krepke, I learned is from West Side Story. And I learned that not because I saw West Side Story, but because <laughs> I saw a, did you read my note about this? It's yeah. so weird. I saw, I learned about something called dog dancing, which is when um, people train their dogs to do synchronized dances with them. And, and they have competitions and it is very bad because dogs cannot dance. Uh, your initial assumption, can dogs dance? No, is correct. They cannot. Um, <laughs> somebody did one to Dear Officer Krupke, and it was like one of the most deranged things I've ever seen. And so the next time I had watched Gilmore Girls in this episode after watching that, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Freak and her dog Stipple <laughs> did the Dear Officer Krupke dance. They're from England. You can, I'm sure you can type it in and you will find it and then you will regret finding it. <laughs> you really <laughs> Um, so, okay, then we get the scene with, uh, where they're in the Independence Inn for the first time. I always like the Independence Inn stuff. Um, as much as yeah, everyone looks down on Lorelai for working in an inn, I think it's an incredibly cool job and it makes me want to work in hotels. I agree. Yeah. I love the Independence Inn, Dragonfly Inn. I love all of the oh, yeah. cozy, cozy inn scenes. Oh, so good. I love it. Um, we get Michelle for the first time in a classic Michelle moment. Amazing. Are, are you a Michelle fan? I'm a huge Michelle fan. I love Michelle. I know people don't like him. I think he's the best. What? Um, Is that I, really? I like podcasts that don't like him. Uh, he's so good. They're like, oh, he's like a one joke character. No, he's great. He makes the show so funny. Um, I actually want to point out one thing about Michelle. Like, and Gilmore Girls does this once with his mother. Yes. But. I love the fact that he actually is French Canadian, even though he's playing French. Right. He's playing French, yeah. There is a thing, um, and I don't know why, on American television where they would cast Americans who could not do French accents. Yes. Mm-hmm. And like when his mom shows up, she's clearly not French. She's clearly not French. Gilmore Girls has an accent problem. <laughs> yeah. But um, I loved that Michelle obviously like is obviously a French speaker. Um, and then there's the scene where like, there's some French businessmen who come in and oh, I love that. also <laughs> French. Um, but I actually went to a French immersion elementary school. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, I'm so yeah, And so I like was very angry about poor portrayals of French people and French accents. On television. You were like, no, Gilmore Girls nailed it. You nailed it. Um, I find Michelle such a believable French character. A believable French person. But no, he's great. Uh, I think the no, I'm sorry, we're completely booked is something I always think of when I think of Michelle. So I love yeah. that that's the moment we start uh, off with him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. Um, I love it. I hate when Lorelai says, has the plumber tended to room four? Because Lorelai <laughs> would never say tended. And it feels like it's cut from like a, like a not, I don't know, like an 18th century book. Um, yeah. It's really weird. Uh, oh, one more thing about this scene I wanted to ask. Are we Drella fans? Do we like Drella? I mean, like, not really. Not I, really. I don't know what they were trying to do with that character. She's fine but like I don't miss her when she vanishes (laughs) and it's never addressed and it's it sucks because she's great like Alex Bornstein she's getting her due in the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and that's awesome but I think it's they they didn't know what they were doing with the character either and it's because for those of you don't know that she was the original uh Suki and um her husband is or ex-husband I think they got divorced is Jackson from the show 
and they were cast together, but she was on Mad TV and another show and they it didn't work out scheduling wise or they wouldn't release her from her commitments. So they had to recast, um, and, but I think they really liked her and wanted to keep her in, you know, as much as they could. But this just isn't the right role for her because it's not a role and it's weird. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's like, and she was on Family Guy too, right? Yeah, yeah. She was, yeah. She's, she's the voice of, I think she's the voice of Lois, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably really um, yeah, it's like they they just they were going for something and it was fine in the first episode, but then like, yeah, drag her out too much. Um, it's it's like a one episode gag. Yeah, it's it's part of like the Gilmore Girls doing more slapstick that I think happens in the first couple episodes. Like yeah. there's this one point where Suki knocks the chef in the head with a pan, like back, yeah. and it's like they're in the Three Stooges. <laughs> I mean, the whole like choreographed chaos of the yeah. kitchen scene is amazing but maybe not like later Gilmore. not later but we I mean we do see still a lot of Suki chaos stuff but it's not as like in your face choreographed mm-hmm. I also I mean I love Melissa McCarthy mm-hmm. in this I, I think that she's so fantastic um people are always like oh would you have been able to guess that like Melissa McCarthy got that big if you just watch this and I was like I don't know I, I watched this and I'm like yeah I would have hoped oh. she would have gotten big she's such a star in this she sparkles. And I saw that in your notes that I was like, yeah. absolutely. Because if anything, and I think you said that Suki's, you know, your favorite role of hers. Yeah. Um, and I totally agree. I think her like darker humor is just not as enjoyable. It's I think it's not as enjoyable. It's not as compelling. And I think that she plays with Suki, like, yes, a, definitely a lighter character and a sweeter character, but also does more of a range of emotions than she's allowed to be given in any of her mm-hmm. recent roles. I know that she did have the really, the one where she was nominated for an Oscar and I, I didn't see it, but I heard it was really good. But um, I think that Hollywood found that she was really funny and good at like broad humor and they played with that. And I get yeah. it, but like it's, she can do so much more. Yeah. She's fantastic. I think she's a really big part of what makes the show work. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so we do that that meeting. We also have when they go back to oh, do you want to talk about like Lane and Mrs. Kim a little bit? Yes. Yes. I was curious. Did you read the Babysitter's Club book? I read a couple of them, but not like, are you gonna say that Lane is like the what's her name? Claudia. Yeah. <laughs> Claudia, and it starts starts the a K her name. She, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. She's the- actually there's a um, Netflix special. It's really short. It's like 30 minutes or something, but it's like, it's called like the Claudia Kishi fan club or something like that. And it's about Asian American representation. And um, it's so good. And it's like, she, I, so I actually, much like Gilmore Girls, did not openly admit to like in Babysitter's Club. <laughs> um, I think that's okay. Yeah. And I, <laughs> like I kind of hate read it too because there's a lot to hate read in those books um a lot of the characters are really annoying and I but I but I read them and I just loved Claudia though because I thought she was so cool and she's like really artistic and she's like the like, best part of the books yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I had like a Claudia books like you know you could choose what book you wanted to read based on like who right the, the character that was on the cover and you're like oh yeah. this is a Claudia installment mm-hmm. yeah um and so I love that. And I see a lot of Claudia in Lane yes. and, you know, like n- neither of us are Asian American, so we can't really speak to <laughs> really speak to yeah that experience. But I just remember thinking it was so cool that they didn't, she wasn't a stereotyped mm-hmm. character, you know? I think that, that Lane is like 
the coolest character on the show. And I love that she's not a, I don't think she's a stereotype character. I think she's completely three-dimensional and has exciting interests. And um, I love seeing her grow throughout the seasons. I think particularly in the later seasons, she has like a lot of awesome character growth. And I love the relationship with her and Mrs. Kim. I think, I mean, it's not my place to really talk about this, but like Mrs. Kim, I think in the earlier scenes can be a little, you know, bordering on stereotypy, but I also come to love the character of Mrs. Kim. She's one of my favorite characters in the show. Um, yeah. And I, I think Emily Kuroda is amazing. And um, especially in the later seasons, Mrs. Kim rules. Yeah. And she's really emotionally complex. Yeah, um, yes. I, I like that. I, and I think that, you know, we can talk more about Gilmore Girls and race, but for, for now, yeah, I think that, that there's a lot of interesting dynamics going on here. Um, and I will say, I don't know if like, modern viewers um, will understand um, how like odd it was to eat like sprouted. Yeah, you know I mean? <laughs> it was really weird. And somebody was like, on another podcast, I think it was listening to Gilmore Guys. They're like, it's, does Mrs. Kim eat weird food? And are they, is that trying to be like a racist thing? I was like, no, it's, she's a weird health food nut. Like she's yeah. a health food person. Yeah. Um, it was she- weird she and Luke both are like granola tofu people which and I will say like so my dad has type 1 diabetes and one of my best friends does who's a huge Gilmore Girls person she's gonna come my friend Evo yeah Mm -hmm. so I and he he was diagnosed when I was like in elementary school or something so I remember life like changing yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so he had type 1 diabetes and then my grandmother had celiac disease and so like I grew up eating the really terrible sugar-free in the 2000s and there were no options there are options now there were you know there were no options and you had to go to like these weird there was this weird health food store in my town that was like next to the Christian science like bookstore and it smelled like vitamins and you would have to like go in (laughs) and buy these like or truly horrible, like nasty bread substitutes. And so oh. when Mrs. Kim's talking about like having to dip the muffins in the tea because they're so hard, I was like, yes. But all these kids now with their like booties. <laughs> like, they're all like, it's the level of no idea. They have no idea what the struggle was. And like, I must have been really, really exhausted last night because I wrote like, I think I would try some of this food and I would like to rescind that statement. I would not try some of this food though. I've always been curious about that with the egg salad, like imitation sandwich, Mrs. Kim is making in the dance marathon episode tastes yeah. like where you have to keep stirring it. Hard so maybe you would try that out of curiosity. Um, regular egg salad grosses me out, but it, maybe if it's an egg substitute, but I just kind of want to know what it is. Um, but yeah, she's, she's a health food nut. And I think that yeah. goes with the fact that I think there's a lot of overlap between like extremely like seven day Adventist and religious communities and um, health food. Like, I think that's what you're supposed to associate it with. Yeah. 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 And just being like really sheltered and. Yes. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's so much. Um, It would not be good. so we can, so yeah, then, then Lorelai figures out that Chilton is going to be too much for them. Rory gets into Chilton, um, Lorelai figures out it's too much for them to pay for, which like, Lorelai, did you not look at how much it was on the admissions materials? <laughs> like, I get that it's for the conceit of the show, but like, couldn't they just had her get denied financial aid, which I know is a plot point later in for college, but like, she didn't know how much it was. <laughs> 
maybe that's deliberate. Maybe it's supposed to point to Lorelai being really impulsive and not really thinking. That's a good through. point, actually. That's a good point. Um, yeah. And I've always wondered how much Chilton was because she's like, oh, that's a lot yeah. of zeros behind that five. Do you think it's five thousand a semester? Do you think it's fifty thousand a year? This is nineteen ninety nine. Oh, yeah. So maybe five thousand a semester. Maybe, but. I don't know. I know Lawrenceville is the most expensive prep school in America and it's a boarding school. And I think it's like 45 to 50,000 to send your kid there. So I have a trouble, I have trouble believing it would be 50,000 in 1999 money. A semester? Oh no, a year. Oh, still. (laughs) No. Um, But I think 5,000 sounds cheaper than it would be. I think that they just picked a number. I've spent too much time thinking about this. Yeah. So yeah. Lorelai decides she has to go and talk to the Gilmores because she needs the cash, the cash-a-roni. And um, first of all, does Laura seem like a Jeep person to you? We get a shot. I mean, we see we see the Jeep. And I think maybe it's because Jeeps had a specific like cultural signaling in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. What do you think? I, so I am not a car person at all. Um, but I like, I don't know my, so my boyfriend in high school, um, had a Jeep and I didn't like, I've never actually thought about that until I read your note. And I was like, is there a Jeep person or was that just like a thing? Like an adventurous, like hippie kind of person. But I think it was also like a, a liberal person thing, like signaling thing. I could be wrong about this in the late, 90s early 2000s um it's shifted now because I had neighbors in one of my old apartment complexes who were like a little methy and they were (laughs) people and they would go jeeping with their friends which was like they would all ride their jeeps around and like and do like mudding and like roll around in the mud and that was like the point and then one of them like they crashed their jeep doing it and the whole like jeep community banded together to get them a new jeep for them to go jeeping in i was like this is the and they used to work on the jeep in the parking lot it was the weirdest thing this is all news to me i had no idea there was jeep culture (laughs) maybe the jeep thing it like it seems like kind of this is like a weird thing to say like an immature car to have like kind of impractical Right. It's not not a minivan or even like a sedan or something like that. It's like, yeah, Lorelai drives a Jeep because Jeeps are fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't, like my, yeah, my high school boyfriend had a Jeep, you know, like that kind of school boyfriend car or a Jeeping person type of car. Like you're not, you're not the, you're not the stable individual with a Jeep. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think too, I also wanted to talk about the fact they don't, so, you know, Laura, we see the Jeep before she goes into the Gilmore's house. They don't get Emily's look right for like six episodes. What the heck? Yeah. Except I almost feel like the real life Emily Gilmore like probably Emily Gilmore would look like that. That's really smart. The real life Emily Gilmore would look like that. <laughs> um, that's, that's, but you're, that's really, that's really interesting. That's really good. Yeah. They, they nailed like the real Emily, but then they're like, oh, this doesn't work for like the show. Yeah, ends up being hot stuff. She does, yeah. Um, but yeah, she's so washed out and like the eyebrows, even for the late nineties. What? Oh, okay. I don't know if you want to talk about this now, but I definitely want to talk about fashion, makeup, 
the whole look of the Let's show. Talk, we'll definitely talk about that at the end because I have yeah. a lot to say. Um, though I about do about eyebrows. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so also, we we don't get Emily Wright as a character for a while, looks wise, but we do get a sense that she's going to become the Emily that she is when they go inside and Lorelai's like, how are the women at the bridge club? And Emily goes old. Yeah. Which is like, that I think is a signal that she's not your typical DNR lady. Yes. And I noticed for the first time watching, um, watching the pilot, um, that they're already building these parallels between Emily and Lorelai. Like when they take drink the champagne at exactly the same time and those like little biting comments. Yes. They're very, I mean, I think Emily's the third Gilmore girl. Like yeah. I think that she's in the title. Yeah, um, for sure. And I, I think that her, she becomes like just as much of a main character as Rory and Lorelai. Definitely not in the first couple episodes, but yeah, they're so similar. And that scene later when they go to dinner, like they drink the champagne at the same time, like you said, and then we get that like alliance between Richard and Rory who Rory, are yeah. so similar when he passes her the newspaper. Yeah. And I, I love that moment. I love when he shows up in this scene too, when he's, when, you know, you need money. And I think I, every time he comes on screen, like in the first couple episodes when I'm doing a rewatch, I want to cry because I love Edward Herman and I'm so sad that he's like passed away. I know. Um, one thing though that I don't understand about the pilot is that you need money scene because it's as if she has, yes. like she's been coming to them like, oh, you're only here because you need money because you right. just take money from us all the time. But she's in the same done. episode, yeah, they established that just she's never done this before. And I thought that was odd like they're kind of treating her like a junkie. <laughs> yeah, she, she is treated like that. And I think that the only explanation I can think is that maybe there was a disconnect between what they wrote on the page and, and how it was played, even though I know Amy Sherman Palladino was really careful about how things were played. But it seems like what they want you to get from it is the only reason she would be here if it's not Christmas or Easter is if she needs money. That's definitely yeah. what you're supposed to get. So they're like, oh, of course, that's why you're here. But the way it's played is, you're right, as if she's constantly, if she's a junkie coming and asking for money or like she's a freeloader. Um, yeah. And it's not what you're supposed to get from it. So I think you're right. That's yeah. something that doesn't quite work. Yeah. And I had always assumed, because I, I had clocked that before, but I guess I just thought, I, I thought about it before and I thought like, oh, well, maybe this was just like a disconnect from the pilot. But no, it's established in the pilot, but she's never done that before. Yeah, so. talk about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very clear that the pilot wants you to know that Lorelai does not rely on her parents. That's like a very, yeah. change, that doesn't change throughout the course of the show. Yeah. All about like what she's asked for in the past. Um, yeah, so yeah. that was a little weird. And I guess maybe it was just, well, I think Richard is meaner in the pilot than he ends up being. Richard um, is here in the pilot and in the first couple episodes that his characterization changes a lot. Yeah. And so maybe it was just supposed to be just like a shitty thing that yeah. he's trying to make her feel bad. Yeah. It definitely changes. Like Emily is in the, in, even in like the later episodes, even in like the fourth episode of the season, Emily is a much more dominant presence in the house. Yeah. It seems like mm -hmm. in this first episode, they're setting it up that Richard is a more dominant presence or that he's equally forceful and that's not the um that's not the impression we get at all yeah. throughout the rest of the show that's really interesting thank you for bringing that up um I do like that they echo this scene in the uh revival when they do um like Emily is like you need money and she asks and it's really yeah. like that that made me cry um yeah it's it's 
I just wrote like the lighting in this scene with Emily's makeup is killing me. <laughs> um, so we can, so then they go, we can talk, we've done little talking about Rory, except that she's parentified. And so we see, <laughs> we see Rory and Dean together. What are our thoughts on Rory and Dean, um, either in this scene or in general? Well, yeah, Dean. <sighs> Dean. <laughs> Dean. First of all, the Dean of this episode is, as I think every Gilmore Girls fan notes, is not the Dean who he becomes. No, the, no. Like, no. understanding the Rosemary's Baby reference, like... So, Dean of season two and beyond doesn't even know how to work a DVD player. <laughs> I mean, he does. Maybe he knows how to put one together, but Dean has not. Dean of season two and beyond has not seen Rosemary's Baby. He's never even heard of it. He'd be like, huh, "What's that?" I don't even think the Dean of later seasons would even know. Notice Rory reading yeah. Moby Dick or Madame Bovary. Yeah. I don't. Even, he he wouldn't be able to pronounce Madame Bovary. They take, and I know you and I have talked about this, and we'll talk about this as the show goes on. But they like take all of the cool qualities from Dean and give them to Jess and just give them to Jess. Yeah, yeah. What a lot so much of that is what attracts Rory to Dean in the beginning. Like she yeah. wouldn't be attracted to the Dean that he becomes. She's attracted to him because he's cute and he's mysterious, but he's also like well, you know, well read and he knows these cultural references. And yeah. maybe he's not as well read as her, but he's interesting and smart-ish. And um my dog sneezing for this <laughs> and just the middle of me. And uh they just take all that away from him. Like he becomes all American dumb jock. Dean yeah. and Rory wouldn't date him so it kind of makes no sense why they'd be dating anyway in the later seasons no and like yeah I don't want to get ahead of myself but even just like remember later he like he likes Nick Drake like yes! he's, he's not yeah yeah just about like the commercial the songs played in the in the car commercial yeah he, that's not they they this is a boyfriend Rory would have started out with and that makes sense for her and yeah. I think that we can see why she's attracted to him. And I think that they do a good job, at least in the, this beginning, showing like, oh yeah, this is why she'd like this guy. Dean is sporting what <laughs> Alfred, my husband, and I have deemed HGH. Oh no. Which is hot guy hair. Oh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> which is the 90s, like parted in the middle, little like side. Old cut. He was like a little German boy. <laughs> you could not get away with that hair if you didn't look like Jared Padalecki it is the no. worst Dean throughout the show has the world's worst haircuts it's like he pissed somebody off in makeup and they were like you know what screw it I mean it gets really bad in season four but like this is classic HGH as you said HGH it is guy haircut if, if, if a show wants to signify this is a hot guy He's got the HGH. And it's like, <laughs> it's like so, him. I mean, and, and like, I mean, the, the, the fashion choices we will get to later, but like the cargo pants and like jacket, the jacket. I don't know if Dean is wearing cargo pants actually, now that I think about it, but them at some point though, did that becomes a Dean stable along with his life jeans? Mm-hmm. They're not light, but they're lightish. Light-ish. They're not they're lightish. Um, which I, I don't know why. I think it's just like too many guys from this era that I knew wore light-ish jeans. Like they really grosses me out. Oh, they're bad. They're bad jeans. They're bad. Um, <laughs> they not wear light wash. I mean, okay. Do we think, do we like the meat cute or 
with the books or is it like kind of icky? <laughs> I think it's about as good as we're get for a meet cute for the two of them. Um, I never particularly liked it, but I think it makes sense. I think we get yeah. a lot of really cute Rory character development in these yeah. scenes where we like, she, the fact that she's timed how long it takes to get from Stars Hollow to Hartford is really cute and Rory thing to do. The fact yeah. that she is, that she, I love when she says, I know it's kind of, you know, lame or cliche or whatever to have Moby Dick be your first Melville. Like that's, yes. that's something you would say if you love to read and are aware of like reading and, and like literary tradition and like, oh yeah, it's cliche to have it be your first Melville. It's not like, I don't know, what else would it be, Billy Bud? Um, <laughs> Bartleby. Bartleby this what else did you <laughs> He had this other book, I don't even know. But yeah, it is cliche to have it be your first Melville, but she's loving it. And um, but just the fact that she says that, I think is, is so good and cute. And she does this little shrug after like she and Dean are finished talking in the town. That's like really a little sweet. I know people like to crap on Alexis Liddell's act acting and she's, I think she's adorable in this. I do. She like, she seems like a real person, like a real awkward person. <laughs> it's like a real awkward teen to me. Yeah. And but she's also like an awkward teen that's adorable. Does Rory know she's really cute? Do we think? Um, based on later episodes, no. Like, she makes these comments like, I don't know, when it comes to like fashion and makeup, right. like I don't know, I don't know what, what to do. Rory, you're adorable. <laughs> yeah, I don't think she knows. No. And I think um, Carla is so beautiful too that that's probably it's probably hard to see herself. Yeah as being really, really pretty. I just don't worry, like, has the, <laughs> like, awareness. Yeah, she's not, she doesn't care. She's genuinely has a really rich inner life. And that's what matters to her. And I think I read that that was really important for them on the show to, like, write a girl who was, like, they, they said, and it's ironic that Rory's relationships get so much, like, discussion, because they said that for her, what always came first was, like, her personal development and her inner life. And that's what they were, like, writing for. Yeah. Um, which I think I like. Also, yeah. we're in this classic non-athletic girl representation, yeah. uh, which I need. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I, I was like, yes, Rory. I also sucked at like gym sports. They have dinner um, with the Gilmores. Before that, they both play Macy Gray, which is so insanely weird. <laughs> yeah. Are Lori and Lorelai Macy Gray people? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it now. I, I'm I'm mom, crazy, right? With your mom, <laughs> I think actually maybe my parents had a Macy Gray CD. Was Macy Gray cool? I don't think so. No, I think if there was ever a Macy Gray moment, it was that moment. But I yeah. also don't know if that if there ever was. Um, did you ever watch the cartoon as told by Ginger? Yeah, I did. Wait, is Macy Gray? Is she sings, does she sing, sing the theme song? Yeah. Oh my God, I just like that came back to me. Like it was a repressed traumatic memory. Like I had always known it, but I had pushed it down. Yeah. I actually loved that show. Um, oh, oh, I love that. I would for real watch it if it was available. I left, looked for it on streaming. Service. Is it not? Can you buy the DVDs? I don't know. I haven't gone that far, but no, I have Plus, I don't have a DVD player. It's again one of those like there she goes, like very specific yeah. cultural moments. It is, and I think yeah, it, it, that's exactly what to say about it. It's one of those moments. I also think too that you know they're fighting in this scene. 
And it's really interesting to have a show that's premised on a mother-daughter really close relationship and to start that show with an episode where they're arguing like the entire time. I said that's a good point. Um, there's one line though, I wish I'd written it down, where right when Lorelai like gets the letter and she's talking to Suki and she's like, then she can get into oh, yeah. and then I'll resent her and we can have the normal mother-daughter relationship. relationship. It's kind of the trajectory of the show. <laughs> it is that she predicts the entire thing. It's like, yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> good call. <laughs> And so maybe some of that resentment is kind of bubbling up here already, seeing Rory, like, start off on this journey. And then you pointed out, like, what school did Lorelai go to? I haven't even thought of that. Okay, so this one, this is a shout out I want to make to um, someone I know, Gracie, who, yes, we have the same name, who posted this on Twitter. And I had thought about this, but she articulated it really well, which was like, why didn't Lorelai go to Chilton, established as the best school in the Hartford area where the headmaster is a close family friend? And she's absolutely right. But I think it makes sense in the logic of the show because Lorelai is shown actively resenting like everything that she went through as a young person and everything that she you know, was forced to do as a child. And the fact that later that we learned that like her school kicked her out when she got pregnant. So I think she would never want to send Rory to a school that was associated with, you know, that she had gone to in the past or that her parents sent her to. So I think she would, regardless of where Lorelai went to school, she would never send or encourage Rory to apply to that same yeah. house. As far as <laughs> why, like, are, were, were Richard and Emily close personal friends with Lorelai's headmaster too? Like, are they just buds with everybody across the, <laughs> across the like Hartford prep school spectrum? Probably. Actually. <laughs> yeah, actually, as soon as I said that, it was like a laughable possibility. It's like, no, yeah, that's probably the case. Um, yeah, no, it's so I think that that is a satisfying for me in text explanation for it. We still never freaking learn what the heck Laura like is. <laughs> they wear those little ties in the, um, the Dear Richard and Emily episode where there's like the flashback. Do you remember what Laura like has on? Yes. This little dinky tie. <laughs> Rory do that thank god Rory's uniform is fine I think it's actually cute yeah um so what do we think about so the final big scene is the dinner scene as we've we've alluded to before um we talked about some elements of it like Emily and Lorelai showing their similarities um Richard and Rory sharing a newspaper I love that moment yeah um obviously the showrunners did too because it's it goes in the um the credits for a long time uh I love when Richard says, people die, we pay. People crash cars, we pay. People lose a foot, we pay. That's one of my favorite lines of the entire show. Yeah. Um, I'm obsessed with that. Uh, how do we think, and we, it seems meaner than, or Richard seems meaner, as you said, than in the rest of the show. I think that's, it's a different Richard. They haven't figured out what to do with Richard yet. And I don't think they yeah. will until episode three, which is one of my favorite episodes when they go golfing together. Yeah, I think it's still, they're still like, you know, wealthy father embarrassed by his daughter who got pregnant you know too young or something um having him fall asleep at the table is also a really weird choice that is very not Richard no I I made a note in my head I was like that's not a rich Richard wouldn't fall asleep at the table Richard would pull out a book or he would talk to Rory but yeah that's I was always like Richard's not that kind of guy he's not like a sleepy absent dude yeah he's Richard he's he's the best I love Richard um even though he has his flaws obviously 
the actual fight in the kitchen, I think is very well done dialogue wise. I think that there's a lot of exposition that happens there that could feel really awkward. Yeah. I think other parts in the episode, the exposition does feel a little awkward. Like when Lorelai's like, ah, Suki, you can't hurt yourself because you have to be good for when we open our own inn. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, line up for sauce. And it's like, ah, you're supposed to be like, ah, Lorelai and Suki want to open their own inn. Yeah. It's so awkward. Um, but this gets out a lot of necessary exposition in a way that feels to me completely natural dialogue wise. Like you feel like this stuff would be coming up. Yes. They were having this conversation for real. Yes, for sure. Um, interesting characterization of Christopher as successful, which later lost it when they did that. But also, Christopher Christopher he was. But he's, like, he's kind of like I don't want to call him a con artist, I but like Christopher's a con man. Yeah, he, he kind of presents as if he is successful, and for whatever. And Richard continues to buy it. So that is something that's like maintained. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I forgot he starts out in California. I guess that when he comes, well, I don't, I don't want to get too far no, ahead, no, no, but but when, when he comes to visit them, he is presented as coming to visit from California. And then okay. Boston in season two. Right. But yeah, he's, I mean, Richard is the perfect person that would be at a startup because I feel like startup stuff is a lot of that like BS. I'm pretending to be successful when I'm not, even though our company's going under. But yes. uh, Christopher has coasted on his like boyhood potential for like 15 years now. Yes. And I think it's yeah. funny. I feel like modern viewers would recognize that, you know, <laughs> but at the time, I, I don't know, 1999, I feel like that still maybe could sound legit, but it's funny how I feel like viewers now would know that that's like a red flag. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, startup culture. <laughs> like, Internet startup. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But back then it was like, oh, I think they were still in the dot com bubble. Yeah. Right. That was right before. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny that like, I wonder if they were planning at any point to have Christopher actually be successful. Yeah. I think the move to make him not and is masterful. I think I love it. I love that he's like, so he sucks at everything. Yeah, but he's even just that. a man child. We'll talk about him later. He's he's definitely a character <laughs> we're going to discuss. But yeah, I, I like this scene. I think it's, I, there's so much that happens in this episode and they get so much of the dynamics of the show established in the pilot. Yeah. Like they really, yeah. they set up all of like the central conflicts of the series. Rory and Lorelai, the tension between having your own life and being closer with your mother. Lorelai, yeah not knowing how to navigate her relationship with her parents. Rory trying to figure out how much she wants to be or what to make of the world of Richard and Emily. Um, we even get like a little, a couple Luke scenes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think they, they like set up for me the core parts of the show. Yeah. Does, does it feel like to you there's anything that does not get set up? I think if anything, it's some of the more niche, yeah. you know, music references and that's what falls um, flat for me. I think like the the fleshing out of their interests does not work super well here, except for yeah. Rory and books. I think you get that really nicely. The music for is sure. not done well. Yeah. The, I mean, the pacing is less manic. Yeah. <laughs> it will like, later it's become like a longer episode, even though yeah. it's not. But yeah, I think it's a pretty perfect pilot. Oh, it's it's a great pilot. Like pilots are so notoriously weird and bad. And this one, to me, like, this is a good episode of a show. Yeah, it really is. I think it's 
it's it feels at points slightly weird just because for the rest of the show it it so rarely feels off like it's, it's such a strong sense of itself throughout the entire series that like it teeters a little bit at some points here and you notice it more because it almost never does at other points. Yeah. But um, I think it's a great episode. Should we rate it? I'm going to give it a nine. Yeah, I think for me, it, it just because I tend to give the rest of the show like nines and tens all the time. I think 8.5 for me, it feels like. Yeah. Um, just because <sighs> I'm going to rate the next episode lower. I don't really like the next episode. But for yeah, let me, I'll say 8.5. This feels like for me. Um, just because I'm rating it against how much I know I like the other episodes. So yeah. do not take it because of me. I'm giving it a nine, actually not necessarily comparing it to other Gilmore Girls episodes, but comparing it to Pilot. Yeah, like, it's, pilot. Point. it's a great pilot. Yeah, so yeah. Maybe I would say it's an 8.5 Gilmore Girls episode, maybe even an eight and a nine pilot. And I think combining those two together, to me, it's an 8.5. Yeah. So it's like a solid B plus A minus. Yeah, B plus A minus, definitely. Um, but I would show this to people if I taught a screenwriting class on how to like write a pilot. I think it yeah. works really well. And I think that you get such a sense of the world and the characters yeah. um, in a way that will be improved later on, but it really works. Man, you know who nails it from, uh, <laughs> no, you know who you get a great sense of immediately? Miss Patty. There's no, yeah. there's no like, you know, uh, training period or like she's a little unsteady on her feet with Miss Patty. She's just like, boom, you're getting full Miss Patty. Right there. Um, I'm also doing a cigarette watch because as we talked about smoking at this point was not like banned from right. shows. There is smoking in the first several seasons of Gilmore Girls. Um, Miss Patty is puffing on that cigarette with, with her cigarette a- holder. With cigarette holder. Oh my God, I love it. I'd so Miss Patty. She's great. Um, I do think in later episodes, maybe Miss Patty should spend a little time in jail and think about her sexual <laughs> but not really. Um, sometimes I'm like, Miss Patty, please. Um, bodily autonomy. Um, <laughs> I think, and I think a lot of the reason the pilot works is Lauren Graham. I think most yeah. of the reason is she's just perfect. And the whole show, yeah. I, I love, I think her performance is fantastic. Do you want to do some fun segments? Yeah, sure. Hey, so you wanted to talk about fashion? Oh, Oh my God. Fashion, beauty, everything. Yes. I love everything. I would wear everything. I would wear most everything in this, in this, I would really wear Lorelai's pantsuit or not pantsuit, her little skirt suit she wears. Yeah. Yeah. She's smoking. Oh, I love dark hair, like kind of curly Lorelai. I think it's the best look for her in these first couple seasons. Yeah. With, like the reddish lipstick. It's kind of mauve She looks so good. Um, fantastic. A plus on that look. I like the weird little like vest green shirt thing she's wearing at the Independence Inn in the second scene we see her. I yeah, yeah, yeah. That before I really like it. Um, the eyebrows are, what do you think? Well, I just thought it was funny. Like I remembered while I was watching the episode, like I wanted straight across eyebrows so badly. Mm-hmm. They were so cool. I'm like, Rory's- I remember Natalie Portman had straight across eyebrows too. And I was like, I, that's what I want. And like, Later, it, it took me a while to like embrace the you have uh, great eyebrows. I guess our listeners can't see this, but Catherine has great eyebrows. Catherine's Thank pretty. Um, <laughs> um, but Lorelai's eyebrows, I feel like, are really on point. Yeah, they and were- not too like 90s thin, no. like they're just perfect. 
Yeah, they they really, I, I mean, I know people talk about the wardrobe being dated, but I think I would wear a lot of it and a lot of it holds up surprisingly well. I think some of the stuff in like the 2007's episodes makes me cringe a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, no, 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 yeah. This early stuff, like they look on point. Yeah. The highlight for me was Rory's, um, you, you pointed out the mock turtleneck short sleeves. Oh my God. <laughs> skirt, tight, yep. soft dogs. Yes, oh they look iconic. Though, as I also pointed out, oh. I think the, the actual mock turtleneck does not come back with the short sleeves because it always made my armpits sweat more than regular turtlenecks. And I don't know why, um, but it looks so cute on Rory. I love her little or her huge white cre- like cream sweater in the beginning yes. too. I think she looks really cute. Yes, I am living for the return of 90s fashion. I am wearing a mock turtleneck. <laughs> Very cute, but I will I will let our podcast listeners know that it is long sleeved. It is long sleeved. <laughs> um, fabric that Rory's is made of, like the sweat fabric. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but I love like Lorelai has that makeup bag. Yes, and it's not like my mom was, you know, a Clinique mom. Too. <laughs> my mom was also a Clinique mom. And Lorelai's got like lip smackers. <laughs> I love it. I know it's supposed to be a sign that she's like cool and fun and immature, but like I wish I had, I wish my mom had like makeup that smelled like, I don't even know yeah. what it was, like strawberry cookies and cream, whatever the heck. Yeah. Um, um, mood lipstick. Yes. Call out to mood lipstick, which I feel like I had and it was just blue. Like it, it never just, actually. Changed. They were like, guess what? You got one mood. It's not yeah. I saw that back on the shelves recently and I was like, mm, as fun as it seemed, I was like, I'm not going to waste my money on this because that never worked. No. Um, I also liked the RuPaul reference they made there. That felt like something they would say. Yeah. Emily's fashion will get better, even though we'll get better. I think you're right that they nailed what she would actually look like. I'm pretty um, sure Richard wears the same suit the entire show. Yeah. I mean, they pretty much have him down. Yeah, they got him. They're like, ah, look like look wise Luke of course look wise is Luke I would like to mention that Luke looks number one extremely hot in season one and number two I am tired of having to pretend that Luke looks better in that ridiculous outfit they have him in at the end of the episode oh my god yeah a shower like look what it can do Luke looks stupid he looks like (laughs) like um oh my god Michael what's his name uh I'll think of it later Michael B something like one of those like cheesy late 90s actors um he looks like he's about to perform in a um tiger show like the the tiger guy that got mauled um that Lorelai and Rory always mention do you know what I'm talking about like the two guys they're um Roy Roy. (laughs) yes and it comes up so much in Gilmore Girls they love talking about Siegfried and Roy they make like Siegfried and Roy references over the course of the show um he looks ridiculous and yeah Michael Bolton that's who he looks like he looks like Michael (laughs) and um like just let him wear his freaking flannel plaid thing I love watching 90s shows and looking at the background actors and looking at their fashion and that's right but I think that's why like I just thought cargo pants there's so yes. many cargo so, pants in this I think show. the guys at the beginning have cargo pants on like the ones with more lime Rory um so that's our fashion report best <laughs> joke in the episode did you have any one that stuck out to you because I have one that I liked. Um, I like yours. I'm going to go with yours too because I can't. Okay, let me it. scroll up to where it said it. It's when Rory um, gets into Chilton and where is it? I'm going to search Protestants in my Google Doc. Okay, so, uh, so Rory gets into Chilton. She just finds out and they're in the kitchen with uh, Suki and Lorelai. And Suki says, I'll make cookies. Protestants love oatmeal. 
that line and that's such a Gilmore Girls humor and that really just just killed me I was losing my mind I might call this episode like season one episode one products and love oatmeal I think it'd be cute (laughs) every episode of ours with like the best joke in in the app yes I'll go with that because I don't I think I wrote down a joke this is the like the least joke heavy episode of the series so I think yeah do you want to any other segments you want to comment on well, we've talked about music. Oh, one one thing about music though. Yes. The only the only like cool okay, when I say cool, I mean like no, cool. Like, yeah, or cool yeah. of the time. But also they're sure. cool. Yola Tango. Yeah, the last song by Yola Tango, mm-hmm. they were like a really cool band that yeah. not a lot of people knew about. And no, so they cool. They're still, I mean, now more people know about them, but they're still cool. But at the time, like I feel like my, you know, I had like a friend who was a senior and like kind of a hipster and he would like tell me about music and um he's maybe the only person I knew of who knew Yola Tango so that's impressive in a show filled with Eminem Macy Gray I mean it's just it's only funny because it's gonna stop being like that so quickly but yeah I agree I think that that's a sign of what was to come yeah yeah so like that goes with for like foreshadowing I see in your notes um and then movies I think the only movie references is Rosemary's Baby, right? Yeah, I don't remember anything else. And um, then, of course, Rory's books. Yeah, we get a lot of music and books in this in this episode, and less like other pop culture and TV shows, which we know they love. But I think this is a great first episode for us. Yes, I'm really excited. I think this turned out really well. So hopefully, you guys, listeners of the pod, think so. So, um, tune in soon for um, the next installment where we're going to watch season one, episode two. And Catherine, you are the best. Thank you. You are the best.